You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. England's youngest king uh, was 1492 or so, Henry VI. Henry VI came uh, to be king whenever he was just eight months old. Isn't that good? There's a few uh, boys and girls in our congregation who are about eight months old. And while he became king, he was a crowned or had his coronation whenever he was seven. And then he was also king of France on and off. And he was crowned in France in, in Notre Dame whenever he was 10 years old. And well, Henry VI, that's supposed to be a picture of him in his coronation. Just a wee boy about to get the crown on his head. And well, you wonder what kind of child is fit to be a king. Leo, you might be about seven years old, I'm not sure, but might be a bit older. But imagine just a king, seven years old, he wouldn't have a clue. He wouldn't have a clue at 10. And you could say so many times, can't you, in leadership, in governments, it doesn't seem to matter what age they are, they all don't seem to have a clue. But here is the, the England's youngest king. Just, and imagine that happened today. What kind of rules have they come up with? Might get free cake every day. That might be a good one. Or there'd be no school for the boys and girls. Might be a rule that they would come up with. But they, it wouldn't be wise. Kingship sure wouldn't from a child that would be so young. But here in Isaiah chapter 9, we have a, a child born to rule the world for us. A child to rule the world for us. So if a child came to the throne and said, oh, free cake for everyone, they're, they're serving themselves and what they want, aren't they? They're not thinking about the people. But here we have a child that is to be born to rule the world, not just for himself and for his own ends, but for us, for us. And as we've looked at, at this book of Isaiah, from chapter 7 to 12, although we're looking at the whole book, those five or six chapters, they're called the, the book of Emmanuel. Why? Because we've met Emmanuel a couple of times, haven't we? In chapter 7 and verse 14, we're told that Emmanuel is going to come, that there's going to be a, a, a son, a virgin of a child, give birth to a son, and she will call him Emmanuel. In chapter 8 and verses 16 and 17, we saw how the writer of Hebrews said that's Jesus' words speaking, and again we meet with Jesus. And in chapter 9, well, read most Christmases, isn't it? But what, what, a child is born to rule the world for us. And we have to remember what we're coming out of. So if you look at verse 22, it is, of chapter 8, we have this really dark picture painted. Uh, and it is dark, isn't it? They will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they'll be thrust into utter darkness. That is Jerusalem. That is the world without Jesus. Dark gloomy, no hope. But nevertheless, what happened? There is, firstly, a great light has dawned. A great light has dawned in verse 1. Those who were in distress in the land of Zebulun and Nathali, uh, uh, there's, in verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen this great light. See, there's two names, the beginning was Z and N. <laughs> They are the, the two nor northernmost tribes of Israel. So whenever Israel was invaded, where got invaded first? The north. So these are the, the, the tribes that were in darkness first, if you like. The ones that were invaded and taken over. And these northern tribes, they have this first experience of darkness, of gloominess. They're also going to be the first place of light. 
So in verses 1 and 2, Matthew uses verses 1 and 2 to introduce us to Jesus' ministry. So in Matthew's account of the gospel, we start off with a genealogy. We go into the birth of Jesus, and then we have Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And then as Jesus goes to preach, Matthew says, this is a fulfilled scripture. And where does Jesus preach? In the northernmost point, in the land of Zebulun, around the sea in Capernaum. That is where Jesus starts his ministry. God is just fulfilling his word over and over again. And it is Jesus starting his ministry that is this wonderful, great light. And what does this great light do? The place was in utter gloom and darkness. It's a horrible place to be. There's no hope. There's no light. And whenever Jesus steps in, what happens? Look at verse 3. It's joy, 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 joy. The people are rejoicing over and over again. It's like they've got a, a huge plunder that they're dividing up. How happy would we all feel? I think it was last, last week in America, the, one of the, the cash machine the trucks on the motorway uh, outside Los Angeles, the door flew open and the motorway came to a standstill and everyone was filling their pockets with as much cash as they could. Maybe some of you saw that. And well, that's the, the, the people had the joy doing that. Yes, they were stealing, but you can imagine their joy. Here is good plunder, and everyone's joining in. This is really good news. This is wonderful news from all the darkness and gloom. Remember, Jerusalem is, these people are really oppressed. The poor are getting poorer, and here is plunder to lift them up. Out of the darkness, and into this wonderful light, and there's going to be so, so much joy. Why? Because there's just good news after good news after good news here. Because look at verses 4 and 5. Remember, the people are worried about being invaded, and they will. But verses 4 and 5, we're told that there's going to be an end of conflict. There's going to be no more conflict. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across the shoulder, the rod over pressing, all that weight upon the people, all the worry about conflict, it's going to go. It's going to go. This kingdom that's going to come, this great light, it's going to take away all the darkness. It's only going to be light forever. In the verse 5, it echoes the boots and uh, garments, isn't it? Covered in blood. It's, it's not a pretty picture, but they're going to be burned. Why, did they, why are they going to be burned? Because, well, no one's going to need military boots anymore. No one's going to need to put on their, their soldier's uniform and go off to battle. They don't need them. It's like in chapter 2 and verse, at verse 5 where they beat their swords into plowshares and there's going to be peace. This is what Jesus is saying is going to happen. This light is going to come and there's going to be just an end of conflict. It's just going to add to the people's joy. And well, where is this going to come from? Well, we know it's verse 6, for to us a child is born. Is this little child that's to be born that's going to bring all this? For to us there's going to be a powerful royal child, isn't it? It's a powerful royal child. Think less Archie and more George, okay? Only times a million, okay? That's, it's a really powerful royal child because look at the power that this child has. Government on his shoulders. People talk, don't they, about oh, feeling weighed down on their shoulders. They feel like a burden on their shoulders. Or people you know, in government, their sense of responsibility weighs heavy on them. Not this king. Not this powerful child. The government will just simply be on the shoulders. 
not a burden, because he is the powerful royal child, and there's going to be absolutely no end to this rule. This is who they've been waiting for, Israel. This is the one. Remember King David's promise to have an eternal throne in 2 Samuel 7, and every king that came after David, they thought, is this going to be the one? Is this going to be the one? Especially when it was the good times, whenever there's a changeover of king, is this going to be the king that's going to lead us into great prosperity and into eternity? And the answer is always no, 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 because the kings feel, feel, feel. And it's David's throne, and this is the one true King David that's going to come. The one who's going to rule perfectly, isn't he? In the verse 7, he's going to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness. What a king. Every nation cries out for justice. Every nation cries out for peace. There's only one that can bring it. And it's this true King David that is to be born and will have the government upon his shoulders. And how does this all come about? How are the people going to get this? The end of verse 7, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. It's nothing to do with the people. The people can't get like a, a royal school for children and bring them up to be the, the most uh, just and the most wise uh, government officials or kings in the future. It's nothing to do with the people. It's all to do with God. There's no perfect ruler or country. It's all of God. See, the people aren't going to speed up this process. It's all going to be in God's timing. And here again, it's just God's word is going to be fulfilled over and over again. It wasn't the people who said to God, you're going to give us a king who's going to rule forever. It's God who said it, and it is God who's going to fulfill it. There's going to be no false promises. There's going to be no broken promises for this leader. There's going to be no letdowns. What a person this is. This is an amazing person. Someone that's going to rule with, perfectly with righteousness and justice and peace. Who is this person? Who could this possibly be? It's obviously Trump, isn't it? Up on the screen is going to come a picture. That's from September. How sad. And the son to us, the son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. It's not about Trump. It's not about any leader, sir. It's not, it's not any earthly leader that we've ever come across in the world in our lifetime. It can never be anybody, but it can only be Jesus. It is clearly about Jesus. A great light has dawned. He is born into this world, and he's born to rule it, to rule it for us, for our benefit. And yes, one day there'll be an end of conflict as he rules eternally. Yes, we might have a, a glimmer of gloom and doom in our world, and there's darkness within it, yes. But a great light has dawned, and one day all people will see that great light. There's a child born to rule the world for us. And well, look at this. We have four names in verse 6, don't we, that we're going to spend time just working our way through. The four names of Jesus. So, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. All just little pictures. Little pictures for us of what Jesus is like. What Jesus is like in scripture. And what kind of ruler he actually is as well. So, the first one is wonderful counselor. We're approaching the most wonderful time of the year, aren't we? Sparkly lights and singing carols and all kinds of things. But it's much more than just having a nice little time, having a sing song. Jesus being our wonderful counselor. 
Because the, the first word on that wonderful it has two meanings. Yes, amazement, but also about God being all-powerful. This is a, a king that's going to come and rule, and he's going to be all-powerful. In the Old Testament, whenever God's people are in Egypt and the plagues come, they are all God's signs and wonders, and they're displays of God's great power. So the psalmist, whenever he writes, will talk about God's wondrous acts. You might have read that, and it's talking about God's all-powerfulness, if you like. That God is this one that is majestic and mighty above all. And, well, if that's God working wonders, showing his power in, in different ways and, and in unlikely scenarios and events, fast forward now to Jesus' day. Whenever Jesus is working on earth in his ministry, in the Gospels, as Jesus performs those wonderful miracles, as he teaches, what do the people say about him? Are the people just constantly in awe of Jesus? They're not saying it, but they're probably feeling, this is wonderful. This man truly is from God, they echo, isn't it? Because he's all-powerful. He truly shows me the one that is all-powerful. And that is how he will rule. But he'll also rule with all wisdom. All wisdom. Wonderful counselor. This is much more than you know, maybe lying on a sofa, talking to a counselor across a table. This is all wisdom. This king, this Jesus, will be full of all wisdom. Henry VI, remember him at the start? He was king. He would have a regency council or a, a privy council to help him make decisions and to direct the, the, the line of thinking and all the laws. And he would need help and wisdom for all those different areas. Governments use them today, don't they? They have special advisors. They have ministers in specific roles and civil servants underneath, all to give their input to create a picture that allows them to make the best decisions. And we see that in Scripture too, don't we? We have kings like Xerxes who call on help and Darius and Herod and Pharaoh, and they call on people to help them understand and to make decisions. And time and time again, we see God's people in those palaces making the wise decisions, don't we? Because wisdom comes from God. So we think of Mordecai or Daniel or Joseph in Genesis. And well, it's because wisdom comes from God and well, God is wisdom. Here, King Jesus, this wonderful counselor, he will always provide us with a perfect decision-making process. He doesn't need any help. He doesn't need to gather, I don't know, a few wise men and elders from congregations around the world to discuss it. No. Jesus knows. Jesus is the sole head of the church, and he knows exactly what's the perfect decision in all aspects in every area of life. So what are we to do with this, Jesus? We simply follow him. If he is the one that is so wise, and all his words are never wasted, and if every decision and everything that he says is perfect, we ought to follow him. In John 10, that, that verse says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And we need to listen to the counselor's voice. Because the counselor speaks into each of our lives daily as we read his word, as we come on a Sunday. The counselor speaks wise counsel into our lives. We will have friends that we go to for advice, for maybe different things. But here's the one, Jesus, who gives us the most wise counsel, the perfect counsel. 
He always gives us the best, always gives us the best advice, and we often listen to you. From who we should be going out with and getting married to, to how we live our lives and spend our money, to how we organize our family life. Those aren't just there for the sake of it. It's God's wise advice to us. It's always the best placed advice. It comes from this wonderful, all-powerful, all-wise counselor of Jesus. Wonderful counselor. Secondly, mighty God. Mighty God. And this is a picture of a, of a strong warrior, perhaps. But re- what's, what's the picture of this warrior going to do? Well, this mighty God, this picture of Jesus shows us that he's going to be a defender and protector of the people. A defender and protector of his people. So if you cast your eye to, to chapter 10 and verses 1 and 2. So here we have the people, remember, in, in Jerusalem. The, the government is, and the, the whoever's in charge, the king, are they are supposed to look after the most vulnerable of society. The ones who are weak and vulnerable is who they're supposed to look after. God specifically says that in his wise word. And well, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10, what does uh, the Lord say? Woe to those who make unjust laws. In verse 2, to deprive the poor of their rights and to withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. That's an awful picture of what was going on in Jerusalem. And it happens often today too, doesn't it? The government doesn't really care about the weak and the vulnerable, but here is a king that does. And Jesus does. He cares. He's the defender and protector of his people. And we, we see that, don't we, in Scripture? You know, God calls us to dwell in his shelter. God calls uh, us to, to follow him, yes, but to, to dwell in him, to go to him. And Jesus, we look at his ministry. It's all about Jesus. We look at the Gospels. What do we see over and over again? Who does Jesus care for? Yes, everybody, but who especially? It's the weak and the vulnerable, isn't it? It's the widow. It's the little children. It's the lame. It's the sick. It's all the most vulnerable in society. Jesus is saying, I'm the king. I am the most glorious king. I am mighty God. I am the defender and protector of my people. He's a mighty God. Yes, he's a warrior. He will defend us. He will protect us. And he does, most importantly, easily defeats his enemies for us. The mighty God, Jesus, easily defeats his enemies for us. In Genesis 3.15, we have that, that promise that he will crush to the serpent. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What is God saying? Jesus is going to stamp on Satan's head. And the only effect it will do to Jesus is a little bruise in his heel, if you like. It's going to be so easy for Jesus to do this. Such is his might and his power. And God easily defeats his enemies. God easily defeats sin and death for us. And whenever that final battle comes, again, whenever we studied Revelation, it was just over and like that. Why? Because God easily defeats his enemies. He is the mighty God. Jesus is mighty God. And then thirdly, Jesus is the everlasting Father. And that can be quite confusing, isn't it? When we talk about Father, Son, and Spirit, and here we're saying Jesus is a Father. But it's a picture, okay? Jesus is this everlasting Father. And I know for some of us, maybe a Father doesn't have a good 
picture in our mind that even the, the best father you could ever imagine is not going to be like Jesus. It's going to be fall so short of what Jesus' father-like care is because the everlasting father will have concern for his children. An everlasting father will, will be full of care for his children, full of a love and a devotion, full of a compassion. How often do we read that Jesus looked out in the crowds and was compassionate, or had felt compassion upon him? He had a father-like care for his people, for his children, and he is going to continue with that care for us. And all the difficulties that we face in our lives, the, the bereavements, the sickness, and we feel that people just aren't saying the right words to us, who's going to say the right words to us? Who's going to put the arm around us, if you like? It's our everlasting Father. The one who has no beginning or has no end. That's what Jesus is like. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden. You know, I will embrace you. I have this father-like concern and care for you. He is this father who has so much concern for his children. And well, as we even thought this morning, God endlessly loves us. Echoes of Psalm 118, but also 1 John 4, that simply God is love. We can rely on the love that God has for us. It doesn't wax and wane like the phases of the moon. That God endlessly loves us. It constantly is pouring out his love on us. His love endures forever. It is poured out, 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 out on his children. And yes, part of that will be discipline, but it's all part of God's love for us. This father has wonderful concern for his children. And he will endlessly love us. Whenever we run in the Christian race and we stumble in sin and cut our knee, who is there picking us up? It's our Father. It's Jesus. He is there patching us up together. It's He who cares for us. He who is dragging us across the line because we could not do it without Him. Jesus is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and then fourthly, a prince of peace. Prince of peace. This word uh, for prince is used uh, another time in the book of Joshua. And some of you might remember we studied Joshua. It was in chapter 5. And it was about the commander of the Lord's army. So commander, prince. was translated in two different ways. So it was like a commander, a prince over all things. And there in Joshua, Joshua asks, are you for us or against us? And says neither the the point being are we for jesus or are we against jesus are we for him or against him and here this prince of peace well he is the one that has come yes he's our commander in chief but he is the one who will bring to us total security total security this prince of peace is going to bring total security he'll be our hideaway yes but peace is gone in this world because of sin and it's only going to be restored by Jesus, this great light that will have been will dawn, and this peace. What is it? It's much more than um, you know, not being bothered by anybody. This peace is rest from our enemies. No longer will we have to run away from our sin. No longer will we be bombarded with the, all those doubts in our minds or the memories of sin in the past. That will all go. We'll have rest from that. Rest from eating ourselves up for how we have failed God. It's all going to be gone. Because there's going to be this peace on earth. 
there's going to be peace on earth. And we saw that in those verses, the idea behind the, the warrior's boot. There's going to be no need for it. There's going to be peace on earth generally. And while Jesus also promised in the scripture to leave us peace, didn't he? Peace I leave with you. This total security is only brought about by Jesus. This eternity security, as I often call it, is only provided to us by Jesus, this Prince of Peace. He's the only one that can give it. It's his land, if you like. You know, so who's the, 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 the Queen of England? It's Her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth. No one else has that title. And no one else has the title of Prince of Peace. He rules in the world of peace. And he gives out peace. But what about for us too? How can we have this peace? How do we know that we have this eternity security, this total security? Well, Jesus himself reconciles us, doesn't he? He reconciles us to God. In Romans 5 verse 10, for if we were, when we were God's enemies, which we were, we were far away at our sin. For when we were God's enemies, we are reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved? God reconciles us, us through Jesus. That Prince of Peace, that's how we know we can have this total security because Jesus has died. Jesus, even though we were enemies, we were enemies. How is this all brought about? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. Nothing to do with us. We provide nothing but our sin to God. Yet he sends Jesus as Prince of Peace into the world to reconcile us, to make us one of his people so that he would be our father, as it were, that he would have such concern for us, that he would continue to be our defender and protector for us, that we would be able to listen to his all-wise wisdom and be able to follow him. Why? Because he has reconciled us to himself. What a king. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a ruler of the world that would be so wise yet so powerful, but to do it for the people? To have such a concern and love for the people that he would defend the most vulnerable, that he would protect all the people, that they would have such a concern and love and devotion for the people that they went alongside them and gave us all security and peace. We will not see it this side before we close our eyes in death, but we will. Jesus is the one who has come to rule the world for us. He is this light that has dawned in this land, the, the, the great light that's going to lift us from this gloom and utter darkness and out of distress. It's Jesus who's come to rule the world for us. Not just for himself and his Yes, it's to praise his name, but he has a concern for us. And we've seen that in all of those names. It's Jesus who has come to rule the world. So let's listen to him. Let's follow him. Let's be reminded that, yes, he will easily defeat his enemies. God will endlessly love us. Why? Because while we were still sinners, he reconciled to us to him, and he will carry it through to completion. Thank you.